morning. We are concluding this series, Simply Christian, and for the last six weeks we've been taking a look, so if you haven't been here, looking not at simple Christianity, so to speak, um, that is, you know, what are the real basics, but simply as an essential, right? I wanted to try, and I want to finish today, to try to ask and answer, do we really know what the Christian faith claims to be? And have I, have you truly um, embraced those realities? Are we living them out? Or do we have some sort of um, you know, knockoff version of the faith, some sort of street version of the faith, some sort of baked in our past history or experience or tradition version of the faith, and have missed or not fully grasped what it is that the Bible actually teaches? What is the Christian faith. That's where we have been. And I'm going to end um, this series, not with a, on a high note, um, but end with a sobering challenge about the context of the Christian life, right? You know, it's one thing to hear about it. How do you live it out, right, on Monday and on all the Mondays of our lives? Now, there's a couple important things that I want to mention uh, before I get into the scripture, just very quickly, that it's important for us to keep in mind if, this is a big if, I guess, for a room with a lot of people in it, if your worldview, and I don't know if that's true, is the worldview reflected in the scriptures, okay? Maybe yours is, maybe yours isn't. But if your worldview, if you would say, is the worldview of the scriptures. There's two important things that are worth mentioning very quickly as we get into the message this morning. The first one is this, okay? God, right, the holy God that's at the heart of the scriptures, is not, on the other side of the equal sign, is not the world, right? Did God make the world? Of course he made the world, right? We can look in many passages to talk about that. But God is not the world. That is to say, you know, God is not the sum, the, the total of my experience with the world and my experiences in the world. Why do a lot of people not come to church today? Why do a lot of people that maybe come have a very, you know, jaded view? Because they think that they see God through their experiences in a broken world. And they say, where is God? He's not very powerful. He must be asleep. He's not very, um, he's not very smart, right? God is not the world, right? Some people think that he is, right? Second thing is the world that we live in, okay, today that you and I live in, is not as God intends it to be. It's very important to know that. See, we complain about God or the world complains about God. The world that we live in, although there's a lot of beauty, we have a lot of sense of what could be, right, in the natural world, in our relationships that aren't, in our experiences, in our health. The world as we experience it today, even on your best day, is not as God intended it. You want to know what it looks like? Go to the last two chapters of the book of Revelation. It's not my sermon today, but the world is not God, and the world is not as God intended it, okay? But I want to talk today, in my few minutes, about the context of the Christian life. What is the world that we live in? My passage is Ephesians chapter 6. You have a copy of the Bible. Open up to it in the very middle of your New Testament, or turn it on on your phone 
right in the middle. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20, in a message titled, A Spiritual Battle. A Spiritual Battle. Follow along as I read. Paul writing to the church in Turkey, Ephesus. Finally, okay, sum up. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God that so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with the, your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, he's in prison, <laughs> pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Okay. A spiritual battle. My first point, and Paul's point in this is, the world is a spiritual battleground. Okay. The world that we live in and the world that was, this was written in, it's the same world, is a spiritual battleground. Now, I think that the Bible teaches that, okay? That the world is a spiritual battleground. I think this passage teaches that. And it sounds, though, that term, even as I wrote it, and I'm giving it to you this morning as a point, it, it sounds kind of Hollywood. I know that, right? The world is a spiritual battleground. But I, I don't mean it that way, okay? The world is a spiritual. That is to say, I, I do not believe, and I don't think this passage teaches or the Bible teaches, that there is a devil behind every bush in your life, that there is a devil behind every policy or, you know, a position that you don't like or that I don't like politically, or that there is a devil behind your disappointments, all of your disappointments in life. You know, for most of the history of the church, right, probably 1,900 of the 2,000 years of, of modern history or of the history of the New Testament church, the powers of this dark world, verse 12, and the spiritual forces of evil, verse 12, were thought of by theologians, by pastor people like me. They had one definition. They were demonic intelligence. That's what they thought it was, right? That's what they meant when they said, we wrestle not, we struggle not against flesh and blood, which is a, an idiom, a way of talking about human beings, but against powers of the dark world, spiritual forces of evil. There was no doubt 
I don't believe, if you read the New Testament carefully, and Christian scholarship for most of the last 2,000 years, 1,900 anyway, that they understood this. It was, it was an assumption. They're talking about personified evil, transcendent evil, the devil, etc. But after World War II, okay, there became something a little more favorable. I'm not knocking it 100% here, but became fashionable that theolo- you know, good, solid, smart, respected uh, Bible scholars began to look at this idea, not just this passage, but this idea, and say what they're really talking about, powers of this dark world and spiritual forces of evil, are actually structures of thought that are embodied in institutions, particularly oppressive institutions in our society. Things like, think about the last hundred years, nationalism, totalitarianism, even certain forms of capitalism that were seen as oppressive. And they said, listen, now we understand. That in, back in, the, in this day, some of those things didn't exist, right? And the Bible is a timeless book. And they said, what they're talking about spiritual forces of evil, are these kinds of structures of thoughts, these kinds of you know, institutions. And this you know, new understanding, let's say, of evil, written by a lot of smart people, helped to deal with two great embarrassments that were faced the Christian message in the modern world. Okay? This was an encouragement. Because two great embarrassments that were, that were out there in the, in the 20th century in particular, in our own day, this new understanding of evil, that it's structural, it's institutional, right, in a manner of speaking, helped address them. The first one is this whole devils and demons thing, right? I mean, I mean who believes in devils and demons anymore? I mean, devils and demons make great you know, entertainment. There's tons of money made on them. My goodness, it's a, it's a fascination. But we know none of these things. Most people, rational people, smart people don't believe in poltergeists and the devils and the demons and that kind of thing anymore, right? So this was helpful to say there are still evil in the world, but it shows up in structures and in oppressive, oppressive institutions. That's the first one. The second one, great embarrassment that this helped address, is the lack, think about this for a minute, of any real talk in the Bible about oppressive social structures that over the last 50 years or so, especially even if you're a college student, or I mean, this is so big, identity politics, the, the oppressive social structures that have become so important in our day, like racism. The Bible doesn't talk about racism very much, right? The kind of racism we talk about. It doesn't talk about sexism in the way that we talk about it, classism. There is a preoccupation, right, in the 20th century for sure, on individual rights, and now in the 21st century, we call identity politics, right? That whatever your particular point of view is, maybe it's something to do with your race, maybe it's to do with your sexual orientation, whatever the case may be, everybody has an issue, and anyone that might be against those issue, right, might be trying to oppress somebody's point of view, that becomes a force of evil. Are you with me? Okay, are you sticking with me here? Now, that's, that helped, maybe, right? Now, let me say something. Do you think, Pastor, where are you going in this sermon? Okay, let me say something. The Apostle Paul clearly believed in 
the devil, okay? I think, I think it's what he means here, and we could like a lot of other places. He believed in transcendent evil. Jesus, okay, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Jesus, you'd have to cut out so much of the New Testament. It would be Jesus believed in transcendent evil, okay? Your pastor, I believe, I guess I'm a dinosaur too. If Jesus is a dinosaur and Paul's a dinosaur, believed in transcendent evil, okay? I don't know how you could be a Bible believer and not believe in, but now, to say that, to say to you this morning that I believe in transcendent evil, that Jesus and Paul do, that it's a representative of the worldview of the scriptures, is not to say, I would not deny that that kind of evil does not influence institutions, does not influence structures, whether it's on the grand scale of some totalitarian government or your neighbor, okay? It can be all of those things. But the fact, okay, that there are good examples, there actually are good neighbors, there actually are good mayors, there actually are good school systems, there are actually good governors, there are actually good works going on all over the world, tells us that institutions by their nature, thoughts of structure by, by themselves, aren't one in the same because I can show you many good examples of these of structures, right? Does that make sense? Look at Romans 13. Romans 13, if you know that passage, Paul says this. He wants to tell people who are living in an oppressive government, right? In an empire. And he says, listen, all authority, government, all authority is ordained by God. And, it, and he said, and these are emperors. This is 1,700 years before anything liberal democracy kind of ideas even came into fashion that you and I think are, you know, everyday kind of experience. He said, the government's from God and it's designed to do good. So we can't take this idea that all evil is institutional or structural because when we do that, we have an overly negative view of society. Wonder where these people come from on the internet, you know? We have this overly negative view of society, and then the work of the church becomes about fighting for people's rights instead of fighting for their souls. Okay? Are you with me? Okay? Now, the Bible teaches that the period between the first coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus, get ready for it, is characterized by conflict. That's what Paul is saying. This is a positive passage. He's trying to encourage. He's trying to get you ready for something. He says it starts with defining reality. Beyond your sins, beyond my sins and I have them, beyond my failures and I have them, right? There's a lot of things I can just say it's me. But beyond my sins, beyond my failures, beyond the sins and failures of people in government and in institutions in our society, there is transcendent evil that cannot be explained just because of what you had for breakfast or your background or your personal history, okay? The Apostle Paul, it says, we struggle not against flesh and blood, which is, again, a, an idiom for, you, for human for human action, right? People. 
What does that actually mean? Well, clearly, if you know the New Testament, the Apostle Paul suffered a lot from people. He's not saying that all our struggles are supernatural devil struggles. No, the Apostle Paul, if you read 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 11, and many other places, good night and Jesus, they suffered all kinds of um, uh, hardship from human beings. What he means is we wrestle not against flesh and blood only, right? That's what he's saying. I suffer just like you suffer. You don't actually need the devil to explain a lot of your problems and a lot of my problems. Sometimes it is just your mother-in-law is your mother-in-law, okay, or whatever the case may be. Or in other words, there's human selfishness. Human selfishness is the problem a lot of what takes place in the world. But what he's saying is, I hope you have a big enough worldview that says beyond sin, beyond failing, beyond human selfishness, there's something else. 2 Corinthians, Paul's letter to the Corinthian church. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Okay? This is Apostle Paul's testimony. I don't think he's talking about tax structure. Okay? I mean, he believed, yes, there are people against me. Yes, there's all kinds of trouble and suffering. But there's also, I also need something else to explain the evil in the world and in my life. It's not just selfishness by other people. There's a guy who's been, I've known for my, most of my entire life, and for the 25 years, I'd say more or less, maybe 20 to 25 years of his professional career, he has worked with the people at the very end of the line in our society. Teenagers, maybe into their young 20s, he's a physician, he's worked with them. Teenagers, people in their young 20s who have been sexually abused, who have been um, strung out on all kinds of drugs and perhaps abandoned by their family. And he says, Rob, as we've had these conversations, I'd love to believe what you believe. I would. But when I look at the evil that I see every day, I can't believe it. Right? I can't believe that God would create a world where this kind of evil takes place. You see what happened? Because he kicked this paradigm out, you see, there's no place to understand transcendent evil, right? I'd think the same thing that he does if I didn't believe in transcendent evil. Because when there's certain things that go on in the world, listen, certain things that go on in some of the lives of the people in this room, that no um, bad policy, no bad neighbor, no bad parenting can explain without an embrace of transcendent evil, right? That's what he's talking about. The world is a spiritual battleground. Second thing, and this is going to be quick, this passage, you need to know your enemy, okay? You need to know your enemy. Now, most this, this passage, this whole book of Ephesians, which is my subject this morning, and this passage is actually positive, right? You'd have to read the whole book. And he's getting down to the end of it. He wants to let them go. He says, I'm going to send you out into the world. Finally, my, my brothers and sisters, be strong in the Lord. He goes into this big discussion about evil, but he says, I want you to take your stand, and he gets down to the end. He goes, I want to, I, pray for me that I might fearlessly make known the gospel. That's what I want you to do, right? So this is, the context is positive. 
It's encouraging. I don't want to spend a lot of time on it. But he says, listen, if you believe in transcendent evil, which in Paul's day, say he wouldn't need to give this sermon because people assumed it. They didn't have to convince anybody of transcendent evil. It was part of their worldview, okay? But if you believe in transcendent evil, you need to know something about how that transcendent evil works because if you're looking for it, you know, in the institutions, in the structures of thought only, if you're looking for it in bad government and bad policy and bad school systems only, and, in, and while you're looking at it there, it's sneaking up in your marriage, it's sneaking up in your mind, it's going to kill you and poison you, right? He says you need to know what the devil's schemes are. That's his word. And there's no list in the Bible of the devil's schemes. Why aren't there? Well, because they're as varied as the human experience, Okay? The old King James says, not struggle, it says wrestle against flesh and blood. And most of the commentators say he used the word wrestle because he's using it. It's a metaphor, but he's talking about hand-to-hand combat. See, if you really want to understand a, a, a transcendent evil, it don't, it's not in the newspaper. <laughs> it's not in some, you know, uh, the, some review of, of, of geopolitics. It's in your life. It's right in your face, okay? We wrestle against transcendent evil, okay? The schemes of the devil. Now, let me just give you one. It's worth mentioning. If you're a note taker, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, you can read the whole chapter, but here, let me give you the quick story. There's only a few times where the schemes of the devil are pointed out. There's a story in 2 Corinthians and First and 2 Corinthians. Paul spends a lot of time with this church in North Greece. He founded it over the course of many years. It's, it's recorded in the New Testament. And when he writes the first letter to them, there's a, there's a situation, right? They dealt with situations in churches, right? Sin, and there was a guy in this, you can, you can read this for yourself, 1 Corinthians, I believe it's chapter 5. But there's a guy in the church who is having a sexual relationship with a, with a married woman, and it's publicly known, right? Sometimes it's not known, but it's known. In the church, in its infancy, in its, in its immaturity, they actually think that it's, this guy's in this egregious sin, but God's grace is so rich, they're almost not proud of it, but it's sort of okay. And Paul says, listen, I've got to challenge your theology here. God's grace is very rich, but this is an egregious sin that needs to be dealt with. Right? Sin is serious, and you need to deal with this. So they kind of snap out of it. They deal with it. The guy's resistant and says, leave me alone and, and mind your own business. And they, in a manner of speaking, kick him out of the church. They discipline him. Paul says, good. So some time goes by. And the guy, now in 2 Corinthians, the guy changes his mind. The guy, he, 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 he says, I've done the wrong thing. God, forgive me. And he gets out of that situation. He repents. That's the Bible's word, repent. And then he comes back knocking down the door of the church, right? Guys, I've repented. I've done what you asked me. I'm slow to, to, to respond. Aren't we all, okay? And, but, and he says, let me back in. And they said, God may have forgiven you, but we don't, okay? It's not, that's a paraphrase, but read it yourself. And Paul writes them back and he says, listen, you guys have got to um, extend forgiveness. You need to let this guy back in. You need to forgive him because he's repented. And you need to reaffirm your love for him. Now wait for it. Because if you don't, he doesn't say you're going to go to hell. If you don't, you're going to fall into one of the devil's traps. One of the devil's, here comes the word, schemes. And you know what it is? Unforgiveness. Unforgiveness. 
okay? Unforgiveness. You want to know what the devil's schemes are? Well, the devil's schemes are, you know, a tax structure. The devil's schemes are militarism. The devil's schemes are nationalism. No, the devil's schemes is, it's unforgiveness. I've been a pastor for 23 years. I'm not so sure that the cause below the other causes that has caused more pain and destruction in the lives of people I've talked to isn't unforgiveness, okay? Do you know your enemy? Or are you out there fighting the good fight about some social problem, some identity politics, while the devil is going to work in your heart and in your marriage and in your mind, right? That's all Paul's trying to say. Know your enemy. C.S. Lewis, the great C.S. Lewis. The long, dull, monotonous years of middle-aged prosperity or middle-aged adversity are excellent campaigning weather. We got that, guys? For the devil. The long, dull, monotonous years of middle-aged prosperity or middle-aged adversity are excellent campaigning weather for the devil. Now, those of you who know C.S. Lewis... He wrote a book called The Screwtape Letters. It's, it's, I guess, fictional in a sense, but he's trying. He's a very smart man. He's, it, it's, it's, a, it's the story of a senior devil <laughs> writing to an apprentice devil about how to help Christians uh, uh, screw up their lives. And, so, and I think what he's saying here is, listen, here's what we need to do, right? We, we, we don't need to... You know, we don't need drugs and pornography. Those aren't, those are certainly, are bad, okay? But we don't, have, we don't have to work that hard all the time. He said, here's what we need to do. When people have resentments, middle-aged adversity, we just need to help build up some resentment in their hearts, right? We need, we need people to get to the place where and say, you know, my life is, you know, why is God so bad to me? Why is the world so difficult? Why are things so wrong? We just need help people become jaded, and if they can become jaded, we've won the battle. And then there's the middle-aged prosperity, which is people saying, we just need to help people, you know, give them some success. Maybe it's the American dreamer of sorts, and they become sort of full of their own self-importance. They become so excited and connected to the things of the world, the things of God will never um, matter to them anymore, okay? The world is a spiritual battleground, And you need to know your enemy. Do you know your enemy? Do I know the enemy? Final point. You have to learn to be who you are. And this is really the positive point of this passage, okay? Just give you a couple minutes. You need to know who you are. That's the whole point of this whole series, by the way. Simply Christian, do you know who you are? The passage, 1 Corinthians, excuse me, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 through 20 is a call to action, right? Pray for me, that I may speak the words of God fearlessly, that I may make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in change. Let's get after it, right? It's a call to action, but it is not a call to arms. Do you know your enemy? I want to tell you as your pastor, I'm as pro-life as you can get. Okay? I'm as pro-life as you can get. But people who bomb abortion clinics, that's not the work of God. That's the work of the devil, friend. That's not, you, the scriptures aren't talking about that. The, the, let me tell you what this passage is about. Four times in this passage, verse 11, verse twice in verse 13, and one in verse 14, he uses the same word. 
And it's the word stand, pay attention. And what is he saying? The thrust of this passage, the positive energy of this passage, how do you deal with evil in the world? Is to know and to hold your position, to withstand your position in Christ, right? Now this great, you know, um, God's armor thing, what is that all about? Is that the Crusades, you know? What is God's armor? Remember what Paul's doing. He's writing, verse 20, he's chained, he's in jail, and he's probably, scholars believe, he's looking at, you know, the Roman soldier standing next to him. And he says, I'm going to look at this guy's military outfit as a metaphor to teach you something. But what he's teaching you, what is on the other side of the metaphor? Truth, righteousness, peace, faith, salvation, God's word. That's what he's talking about. To put on the armor of God, what do I mean you have to learn to be who you are? To put on the armor of God is to make more real in your experience, okay, the spiritual realities, the things that have been given to you in your life-changing uh, relationship with Jesus Christ. It means you need to work the peace into your being. It means you need to hold on to God's righteousness, that he, what he has done for you when you accuse yourself or others accuse you, and you need to say no to your own righteousness, right? It means you need to take the word of God which is, the, which is the real offensive enemy in this passage, right? It's the word of God. Do you know it in your heart? Can you look at the word? We talked about this last week. Have you thought out your faith when someone comes to you with a situation, when your friend comes to you and says, I'd love to believe what you believe, but I look at what's going on in the world and I don't have an answer for it. Do you have one, right, to help deal with that lie or that Lack of understanding of what the Bible actually says, right? You need to work the peace into the heart of your life. And then finally, the last couple of verses, you need to pray your heart out, right? Use that word four times in two verses. Pray. Pray that you might make these spiritual realities come alive in your life, right? That's what he's trying to say. First Peter 5.8, last verse of Scripture. Be alert and of a sober mind. Another writer, this the Peter the Apostle. Your enemy, the devil. I think Peter believed in the devil. Throw him in the dinosaur club, okay? The enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now, pay attention. How do you deal with him? Resist him by standing firm in the faith, right? That's what it means to deal with transcendent evil. Standing firm in the faith, right? The belt of truth. In other words, is your, is your life held together by truth? Is the peace of God that passes all understanding, um, that guards your mind and your heart, have you worked it down into the heart and deep soul of your being, Right? That's what it means. The righteousness, the breastplate of righteousness, which means all that's going on in here, all the doubts and the fears and the self-judgment and the criticism, do I respond to those not in my own righteousness, but in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, right? You need to make the reality stand firm in the faith. That's how you deal with transcendent evil. The passage ends, by the way, it's where we're going to, our next two-week series after Father's Day, right? He says, listen, 
once you figure that out, you learn how to stand in your faith, you learn how to make the faith real in your life, then you need to fearlessly get after it like me and get out there because the people in this world, I don't care how well-to-do they may be, they're living in spiritual darkness, right? They'd love to believe what you believe, but they don't, but they're in the dark. He says, I want you to get out there, right? And stand firm in your faith. You can go further into a dark world because you understand it, right? You understand it. And of course, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for everyone in this room. We love you. And Lord, I just thank you for um, your word, which is so amazing. Where would we be without it, Lord? We'd have nothing to understand you and ourselves and the world but our, our imperfect imaginations and a world uh, and a culture that is confused and in the dark. Help us, Lord. Help all of us, wherever we are in this room, whether we're non-Christians, uh, considering the faith, whether we're mature Christians, growing Christians, Lord, help us to truly understand that what we've been given in Christ, it's not, it's not like a flipping on a switch. It's not checking a box. It's not simply, um, you know, something we put in our pocket. It's a, a life that needs to become activated and realized in every area of our lives. We need to see the gifts and truths of God, the realities of our salvation detonated by the Spirit of God to renew our minds, to expand our hearts, to give us courage to live a different kind of life. We live in a world, Lord, right now in this place where spiritual darkness is is. is everywhere uh, and Lord we want to be the answer in this community and we I just pray for all of us this morning wherever we are however we've misunderstood the Christian faith wherever we've missed it Lord correct our hearts renew our hearts challenge us to a renewed understanding of the gospel that we might live it fearlessly in this world. In Jesus' name.